for it to go right in at number one was just like, I mean, none of us could believe it. I hate to give it away, but that is the number one, of course, you know? It's... <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yeah, them boys. <laughs> hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode three of the Vintage Rock Pod, the podcast series that features rock star interviews, giving us the rock and roll stories from the classic generations. We're talking 60s, 70s, 80s, and a tiny bit of 90s on occasions too. If this is the first episode you've listened to, then definitely worth checking the uh, first two. There's some great rock and roll stories from interviews with the likes of Dire Straits bassist John Ilsley and Small Faces Faces and the Who drummer Kenny Jones. I just want to say before we get going, it's been fantastic receiving some of your feedback from the early episodes. I really do appreciate it. So a quick shout out then to Jamie Rockstar 4 and Dignosaur Gaming for their nice comments on the YouTube videos. Eric Ness on Instagram, the Vintage Rock and Roll page for the shout-out on Twitter, and to everyone who has liked, shared, and commented on the posts on Facebook too. There's been some great discussions, usually around the top fives we've been putting out there as well. And I also want to point you in the direction of Spotify. I'd noticed that Paul Graham has created a playlist that you can follow, which contains all the top fives that we put out. He's been putting them all together in one little place. So just search for Vintage Rock Podcast Top Fives. That's Vintage Rock Podcast Top Fives. So far, it's got the five Small Faces songs, Van Halen and Dire Straits tracks, all nicely kept together in one place for you. So if you're on Spotify, check that one out too. And lastly, of course, a big thank you to you for listening. It is much appreciated. Right, let's crack on with the show then and introduce this week's big interview. It's a guitarist from a truly distinctive rock band who shot to fame in the early 80s. The lead singer coming from another successful band, The Skids. Now, this band went on to have great success all around the world. They had a million-selling album in the UK and one that was certified gold in the US. In total, they had five albums in the UK that went top 10, including a number one, and along with that, they had 15 top 40 singles. They received two Grammy nominations, provided additional spoken messages on the B-side to Band-Aid's Do They Know It's Christmas, and became the first Western act to perform a privately promoted concert in the USSR. And that's before most bands had even thought of playing behind the Iron Curtain. The biggest compliment I can pay this band, though, is that their style became so distinctive that usually within the first few seconds of a track, you know it's them. Welcome to the Vintage Rock Pod, guitarist Bruce Watson from Big Country. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, this is a new for me. This is my first Zoom interview, so let's see how it goes. <laughs> Good stuff. I was going to say, we have, we have chatted a few times in the past. It's actually nice to do over video call where I can see your face a bit more. Yeah, nice to see you standing in front of a, a Ramon-style brick wall. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually my, uh, my, my own shed pub that I created in, in lockdown. Everyone else was doing it, so I thought, why don't I do it? So I turned my shed into a, a vintage rock and roll pub, so there you go. Well, I've done exactly the same. I've just built a, a new recording studio in my garden as well, which is basically a, a shed. <laughs> <laughs> We're all building sheds. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Being queued did a roaring trade. Um, anyway, back to, to the business at, man, at hand then. Um, Big Country, as I said, for, for me, one of the best rock bands of the 80s, without a shadow of a doubt. Now, what made you guys so special was that you put on a Big Country song and you know it's Big Country almost immediately. Now, you created a sound that was unlike anything else around at the time and pretty much around now as well. How does it feel then that you guys created chemistry and magic when you went into the studio and you recorded and you came up with something which was completely unique to you. Yeah, well, it was never kind of contrived. Um, what happened when uh, Stuart Adamson and I got together to, uh, to, to write songs, because it was only the two of us originally, um, 
the only thing that we, the only rule that we gave ourselves was to not be too bluesy and not bend notes on the guitar. We used to just like sort of play the notes because if you went a bit too bluesy with two guitars, you could end up sounding like Ben Lizzy or Status Quo, who we both absolutely loved. Um, but we just didn't want to go down that route. We didn't want to sound like that. So instead of playing blues bends, we would tend to play more melodic. Um, and by the time we added effects on the guitars, they, they, they kind of just came out that way. And of course, that influenced the way the songs were written as well. I mean, you talk about the way the songs are written. Stuart, as you spoke about there, one of the best songwriters of, of his generation, of any generation yeah. as well, and the craft and everything that went behind the songs. Um, what did you think was the, the key success? What, what was it that, that within the songwriting you thought was the reason why you guys just blew up and went massive? I think it was a chemistry between uh, the four um, principal members of the band, uh, with, with Tony Butler and Mark Bazicki. Um, when they came on board, uh, uh, the, I think the stars just aligned, you know, and the, the chemistry was there. Um, obviously, we had a lineup before that, and we'd done a lot of recording before that. But even though all the members that were in the band previously, previously to Tony and Mark being in it, uh, they were all great musicians. But I, I just think once, once those two guys came on, it, it kind of took it to another level, and it certainly gave Stuart and I a good kick up the pants as well, you know, because uh, Tony and Mark were the, 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 probably the best session guys in the UK at the time. Yeah, and it's fantastic. And you guys all came together. And um, kind of around the early 80s, wasn't it? 1981 or so that you formed. And it was just a couple of years later that The Crossing came out. And that's what really, really took hold and went huge for you. Yeah. Well, we actually recorded The Crossing twice. We did the, the first, that, first thing we did it where we did it with Chris Thomas. And it was absolutely fantastic. Chris Thomas did the first single, Harvest Home, as well. But at the time, he was actually producing Elton John uh, out in Montserrat. So um, he would be going out to Montserrat for a couple of weeks and then we'd come back, then Stuart and I would go down to London, meet up with Mark and Tony and go into air studios and get, you know, a couple of days here and there. Um, and the recordings were fantastic, but the record company were a bit worried that it was taking too long. So that, that was the reason that we aborted those sessions and um, we, we, I ended up going with Steve Lillywhite to do the first album. Obviously, that album helped to propel you to, to huge fame and everything here in the UK, but it also did the same in America as well. Now, how did you find going over to America and, and playing to their audiences and, and their TV shows and things like that? Well, um, we went out to America before the crossing. We, we, we actually went out to New York and Washington um, with our friends, uh, the band called The Members, and we did a few shows with them out there, which was a great taster for us. Um, and then when the album... The crossing came out, uh, and we got the the chance to go to America. You know, we just we were over the moon that we actually got you know a proper American tour, and we we, we got over there. Obviously, you you land in uh, New York, and you know you're out there in the the big city, the Big Apple, and uh, it was just amazing. I mean, ever since the first time I touched down there, I've always loved loved America. Uh, we toured everywhere in the states, North America, Canada. Uh, went across to Los Angeles where we got nominated for a, a Grammy for um, a single uh, in a big country um, which it was great just, just being nominated and being there was fantastic even though uh, we never won it I think uh, the police won it for um, every breath you take you know so 
it was just great being out there. And I, I just love America. I, I just love the people and I love, I love the, the places. I love the architecture and I love the history, you know. And from there, the success just kind of kept rolling on and, and Wonderland, which wasn't on the album, was another big hit for you. It went top 10, didn't it, in 1984, just before Steel Town came out? Yeah, Wonderland was like a, a sort of added on in between a kind of track. We, we, we'd done the crossing and uh, the label uh, wanted another track. Um, and obviously we, we, we hadn't quite written all the, all the songs for Steel Town anyways, but um, we had Wonderland and a few other songs and it came out as a, a mini album in the States and Canada and elsewhere. Uh, it came out as a single in the UK. Um, so that was like a little taster, uh, you know, what we had achieved and what was coming next. And it ended up being quite, quite successful, you know, so we're really pleased with it. Again, that was Steve Lillywhite was involved with that. And you talk about the success that was to come. The album Steel Town just went straight to number one. Now, what kind of a feeling was that for you guys? I mean, you, you produce records for, for the joy of making music, but when you have an album that goes straight in at number one, how did that feel? Oh, it felt amazing. And it, it was weird because uh, the U2 guys, they were at number one. I think with the unforgettable fire, <laughs> we knocked them off. Which, <laughs> I would have rather knocked anyone else off apart from you too, because we love those guys and still do, you know. Um, but it was a, a fantastic feeling. Um, I mean, you record an album and you just think, well, you know, you've recorded an album and let's see what happens. And for it to go right in at number one was just like, I mean, none of us could believe it, you know. I mean, we, we thought it might go in in the charts maybe in the top 80 or something like that you know but to go in at number one was just it's, it's just you, you, you can't really express how you feel you know it's like what you just think someone's playing a joke on you and you clearly hit on a bit of magic because then obviously other albums came out and still went big as well the seer which is my favorite big country album that one went high as well as number two and still contained some some huge singles as well now yeah, did you feel yeah. when you were writing and recording the seer did you feel like that the magic was just just flowing easily or was it quite a difficult thing to do at this stage with a difficult third album and all that um no that's well if, if you boil it boil it down into individual songs i mean some songs come easy some songs take a bit of work some songs just don't work uh, and I think those first three albums, they're all completely different albums and they're different sounding, but they all come from the same sort of vein, you know what I mean? And all, all, all the, the our fans and people that bought it kind of always go back to those first three albums. Um, after that, it gets a bit, well, I suppose like any band, it gets a bit hit or miss after that. Uh, and I think it's just because that whole sort of thing was new to us and you're, you're a bit naive and you're, even your songwriting can be a bit naive and that, that gives it a certain charm. And then as time goes on, you sort of learn your craft and you kind of get better and better at it, but you kind of lose that naivety and that bit of spark that you had way back in, in the early days, you know. But those first three albums, those are definitely the ones that everyone goes to. And let's just touch on the fourth album because obviously it's influenced by what was going on in the world as well, wasn't it? Because it was changing times, wasn't it? The end of the eighties and peace in our time. And that kind of came along with, with playing behind the iron curtain. Now, how did that all come about? Um, again, that was more of a, a marketing thing. You know, we spent two and a half to three months in Los Angeles and Hollywood, you know, making that album and going out to the Valley and recording it. And we ended up going down to Australia to make videos and we ended up launching the album in Moscow. Uh, it was just like, 
and we're looking at each other going, how much is this going to cost us? How much money are we going to lose out of this one? But um, no, the, 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 the Moscow thing, it was just, it was more of a, a marketing kind of thing. And we went along with it, but it was, you know, some, some parts of it were enjoyable and some parts not so good. It wasn't, I mean, even going back to the Steel Town days, you know, I mean, Stuart's lyrics on that album, especially the Steel Town album were pretty much black and white about what was going on at the time in the UK and, with, you know, just coming out of the Falklands and the, the minor strike and uh, Mrs. Thatcher and all that kind of stuff, you know, so, and then the seer was a bit more kind of romantic, you know, a bit, bit so some of the lyrics are kind of abstract as well, which is a new one for Stuart. So every album's kind of been, you know, a, diff- a different thing's been going on, you know. So just kind of fast forwarding to now then, um, it's it's one of those things that must be really difficult for you guys because you guys are always known as a touring band and you, you perform uh, millions of gigs, don't you? Let's be honest with you, all over the place, whether it's cruises or little town halls or this, that and the other, you guys are always on the road. Now, obviously with what's going on at the moment and mm. the coronavirus and things like that, how, does it, how do you feel at the moment having not played your live shows like for such a long time? Yeah, I mean, when it happened, when the, the, the COVID thing sort of kicked off, uh, we were out, uh, big country, we were out on a cruise ship mm-hmm. and we were uh, sailing around Cuba at the time. And uh, it, it just kind of, it was like, we're all like wondering, like, you know, what's going to happen? Is this as big or is it as bad as what we thought it was going to be? And we landed in Miami and uh, got to the airport and it was, it was, the, it was, Nuts! It took us about twelve hours to get out of Miami. Just uh, people, you know, we didn't actually think we were going to get off the boat at one time. We thought we might have been quarantined on the ship, but uh, we eventually got home. And I had a few days off, and then I was going to be working with uh, my son Jamie and Richard Johnson. We had some acoustic shows to do the, the following week, and my agent phoned and said, "Oh, they've been pulled." And then there was many gigs the following week, and then obviously the gig every, you know, every week, week we're, mm-hmm. we're kind of gigging somewhere. And, <laughs> as the months went on, my agent informed me to start it. All the gigs for this month have been put back to next year at the same time. So, I, I mean, I can't see me working, you know, doing live shows until um, next March, uh, from what I've been told. And so, what we've been doing is um, been working with the skids again, but in a capacity where we're in isolation. I'm doing a, been offered a cover version album, a, a punk rock cover version album by an American label. Um, doing songs that from our youth that Richard and I liked. Obviously, Jamie's wasn't born then, so but um, so we're doing this uh, album at the moment, kind of in isolation. Like I say, I've got my studio in the back garden. Jamie's got a studio, and uh, every couple of weeks, Richard will come up and we'll, we'll do his parts as well. So we're kind of keeping ourselves busy that way. The wonderful Bruce Watson from Big Country, one of my personal favourite groups from the 80s. Now, remember, you can watch that interview in full along with the others, and you'll get bits that we didn't have time for in the podcast too, and you'll be able to see some shaky camera work from Bruce on his iPad, I think, as well. Just go to our YouTube channel, search for Vintage Rock Pod, and you'll be able to see all the videos on there from across the series. It's not just the interviews, it's all the other bits as well, the quizzes and all that sort of stuff we do with Maudie as well. Anyway, it's time to move on to our top fives. Now, this is where we like to choose five songs to get you going, if you're not a big fan of the band or five songs that'll get your interest and complain about what I'm picking but anyway here's the top five big country songs according to the Vintage Rock Pod 
Starting with a track that didn't do as well as they'd hoped in the charts, picked at number 29, but I love it. It's the second single release from the album The Seer in 1986. It's big, it's meaty, and it roars along. At five, it's The Teacher. At four, it's their second single from their debut album The Crossing, and it was the first top ten hit they had, which sent them into the mainstream. It's a song that's as Scottish sounding as you can get, right down to the video where the train that they're riding on is stopped by a piper on the line. At number four is Fields of Fire. At three is actually their follow-up single to Fields of Fire, and it's the one that went big for them in America and earned them a Grammy nomination too. It's their eponymous hit from 1983, so at three, it is In A Big Country. Next up is a track that fell between albums and contains one of my favourite drum fills on record. It's that little roll that repeats kind of in the chorus. This track reached number 8 in 1984, and number 2 is a brilliant Wonderland. And that leaves us with a track that when you hear it once just becomes stuck in your head, as my 7-year-old found out recently. It was the lead single from their third album, The Seer, and went to number 1 in Ireland and became another top 10 hit for them in the UK. The number one song from Big Country, according to the Vintage Rock Pod, is the infectiously catchy Look Away. So there you go, that's our top five. It's a fantastic set of songs with many others that could easily have made that list as well. Songs like Chance or or One Great Thing. If you're not familiar with Big Country, then enjoy getting to know them. As ever, I'd love to hear your thoughts on these choices. Constructive, please. Let me know your top five tracks, what you think should have made that list, that sort of thing. You can comment on the YouTube video or you can post your thoughts on the Facebook post that we put up there too. Right, we're going to carry on with the Scottish rock theme now, though, with this week's Vintage Rock Pod Quiz. Now for the quiz, I like to choose somebody who's got a bit of a connection to the guests we've had on. Now, obviously, we've had Bruce Watson from Big Country on the show, so the quiz is going to be about Scottish rock bands and Scottish music and that sort of thing from the classic rock era, you know, the 60s to the 80s, a little bit into the 90s, a little bit of a clue for you there. And for today's guest, I've gone to someone who I think is fantastic, not just because he broadcasts across the whole of Scotland every single week, but because he loves his quizzes as well. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Alan Edwards. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you very much for joining me. So, yeah, you're on the Greatest Hits Radio Scotland. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so Greatest Hits Radio in Scotland covers uh, seven different radio stations um, in cities from Glasgow to Edinburgh, Inverness, Dundee, Aberdeen, Ayr, Dumfries, <laughs> um, everywhere. Um, so I'm normally on weekends, very early, from six in the morning, and evenings from seven until ten. And basically, when, in, when anyone else goes on holiday, I normally jump in. Uh, so a diary is quite handy in those circumstances. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, last week you were on the home run. I think the week before you were on maybe on breakfast or something, weren't you? So, yeah, you're always on. That's it. <laughs> it keeps me busy, keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> yep, and when we talk about quizzes as well, you don't just like taking part, you like hosting them as well, don't you? Yeah, well, obviously since COVID, the number of quizzes that I've done in establishments has gone down quite a bit, but we still do loads of them uh, on Zoom as, as we're about to do and, um, yeah, it's good fun. I, I think sometimes I enjoy hosting them more than I do taking part, as we may find out shortly. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how much of that knowledge that I'm imparting I actually take in myself. It'll be interesting indeed, because uh, on your radio shows, you kind of play music between the 70s and 90s, don't you? Like a little bit of new music, but mainly the sort of area that we're looking at as well. 
Yeah, more 70s to 90s is kind of a lot. It's mostly the, the music that we play on the radio station and it's mostly the music that I like as well. So mm-hmm. um, anything that's kind of modern might, <laughs> might be slightly over my head. I don't know what you've got planned here. <laughs> Nothing modern. Don't you worry about that. We stick to well, 60s, kind of 80s and a little bit into the 90s. So you should be all right. Go with that. Okay, good stuff then. So as I said, it's three minutes up to 15 questions. And uh, if you want to pass, just say pass and we'll come back to it. Usual sort of rules. You ready to go? Brilliant. Yeah, ready when you are. Let's do this then. Question one. In what decade did Texas release I Don't Want a Lover? The 1980s. Two. In 1989, Deacon Blue released their second album, which went straight to number one, knocking Madonna off the top spot. What was the name of that album? When the World Knows Your Name. Question three. What was the name of Big Country's highest charting single in the UK? Ooh, ah... I know what the possibilities could be. <laughs> I will say in a big country. Uh, question four. Big country frontman Stuart Adamson was also in another big group in the late 70s. Which one? The Skids. Question five. Which hard rock band formed in the late 60s in Dunfermline had hit singles with Broken Down Angel, This Flight Tonight and Love Hurts? That was Nazareth. Question six. Which rock star went from being the drummer in Jesus and the Mary Chain to being the frontman with Primal Scream? Oh, uh, Bobby Gillespie. Hmm. Question seven. Simple Minds released a compilation album in 1992 that went to number one and three times platinum. What was the name of that compilation album? I can think of all the studio albums. Compilation album from Simple Minds. No, I'll pass on that. <laughs> pass on that one. Uh, question eight. Which Waterboy single stalled when first released in 1985, but shot to number three when re-released in 1991? The Hole of the Moon. Of the moon. Question nine. Which group from Bells Hill released a version of the Rolling Stones track I'm Free and had a top five hit with it in 1990? Great song, The Soup Dragons. Question 10. Before joining Ultravox, Midgeor was in a number of big bands. Can you name one of them? Uh, I'll name the one that I played yesterday on the radio, Visage. Well, there you go. This is too easy for this. Uh, question 11. Which soft rock, <laughs> glam rock group from Edinburgh had hits in the 70s with Magic and January? Uh, that was Pilot. Question 12. Which Glasgow rock group had a hit with a cover of a song by the band Cameo? Gun. Question 13. Which post-pop jangle pop group from Bears Den featured Edwin Collins on lead vocals before he went solo? That was Orange Juice. Question 14. What was the name of the singer in the post-punk new wave group Altered Images? I'll get that right. That was Claire Grogan. And the last question, number 15. The Faces featured which legendary Scottish singer? Uh, see, I want to say Rod Stewart, but then was Rod actually technically Scottish, or is he? <laughs> I'll go for that anyway. We'll go with Rod Stewart. And you passed on one, which was uh, Simple Minds. Oh. oh! So, so close to getting that in. Right, let's have a run through them. You did really, really well there, to be honest with you. Uh, question one. In which decade did Texas release I Don't Want to Love It? Was the 80s, 1989, in fact. Uh, Deacon Blue's number one album was When the World Knows Your Name. Question three. Big Country's highest chatting single was Look Away. You said in a big country. Uh, 
I knew, I knew the possibilities, as I said at the time, so, yeah, bit of a guess. Indeed. Uh, Stuart Adamson was also in The Skids, that's correct. Which hard rock band formed in the 60s in Dunfermline was Nazareth. Uh, the rock star that went from Jesus and the Mary Chain to Primal Scream was Bobby Gillespie. Uh, the one you'd passed on, Simple Minds, the compilation album from 1992, it was the Glittering Prize. It had a purple cover with a heart on it, didn't it? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. And I, I couldn't think of what the, the, the name they'd given it. So ah, <laughs> the Waterboys single, which stalled in '85 but went to number three in '91, was "The Whole of the Moon." The group from Bell's Hill that released a version of the Rolling Stones track "I'm Free" was the Soup Dragons. Uh, before joining Ultravox, Midjo was in loads of bands. You said Visage, that's one of them. They were also in, he was also in Slick, uh, Thin Lizzy, and Rich Kids too. Which soft rock glam rock group from Edinburgh had hits in the seventies? It was Pilot. Which Glasgow rock group had a hit with a cover of a song by Cameo? That was Gun. Word up, of course. Uh, Edwin Collins was in Orange Juice. Yep. Claire Grogan was the lead singer from Altered Images, and Rod Stewart did go down as Scottish as the legendary Scottish singer in the faces. So all in all, that's a terrific score. That's 13 out of 15, Alan. That's fantastic. Happy with that, Paul. <laughs> as I say, I was worried. I thought I'm going to set myself up for a fall here, but yeah, I'll take that. That's not too bad. Take that indeed. That's incredible. It's going to take some beating. Now, Alan, thank you very much for joining us. And if anyone wants to catch you, how's the best way to do it? Yeah, so, um, well, seven different radio stations, depending on where you are. So Clyde 2, 4th 2, T2, North Sound 2, uh, MFR 2, and West Sound, both in Air and Dumfries, either 7 till 10, Monday to Thursday, or Saturday and Sunday, first thing in the morning till 10 o'clock. And I highly recommend you tuning in to Alan, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Vintage Rock Pod Quiz. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Hey. That went well. <laughs> Happy with that. A big thanks to Alan Edwards there. Fair chuffed, and so he should be. 13 out of 15 in just three minutes. That's going to take some beating. Now, I didn't think those questions were too easy. Now, should I make them harder, or was he just really good? I've got some thinking to do ahead of the next episode, haven't I? Speaking of doing some thinking, that links nicely to our trip stateside to catch up with our good friend Maudie now over in Los Angeles from the History of Rock Facebook page. And let's find out what he's got lined up for us on this episode of the Vintage Rock Pod. Hey, how's it going, Paul? Thanks for having me again. No Happy worries to be at here. all. Good stuff, good stuff, my man. Now, something slightly different for us this week, then. Rather than uh, you throwing us some wonderful facts, I've heard that you're actually going to quiz me, so I'm slightly worried about this. What's this all about? It's it's a quiz. So the, the point of Ranker is to have lists uh, basically either generated by fans, but mostly voted on by fans. So we have our list here, which I'm going to quiz you on which is uh, the best British rock bands or artists of all time. So there are 222 items on here, which is, you know, encompasses most of them. And people can still add even more items. So if you feel confident that your band can be number one, throw it up on the site. So the, so the elephant lizards from Coventry could be on there somewhere then, maybe? Sure. Hey, I've never heard of them. Maybe you should send me a link. <laughs> Neither have I, to be honest. <laughs> that's funny. That's Just funny. Joke. Um, but but yes, definitely. If you think they should be on there, <laughs> um, so so the point is here. We get users like you know from all over the world to vote, and this is basically like the actual ranking. You know, it's unbiased. It's not made by some you know snuff in a magazine place that likes this or that, and. You know, it's it's all very just unbiased. So number one is number one, whether you like it or not, you know, I hate it sometimes. So, but what I'm going to do now is quiz you and see if 
you know, there, there are the top 10 bands of all history in, in Britain. Okay. And let's see if you can guess the 10 that are in the top. So it doesn't matter the order. Just go ahead and give them to me and, and we'll see what, what we can get here. Okay, well, I'm going to start with kind of what's behind me then on the wall. I'm going to go Led Zeppelin. That's a good one. We got it. We got it. That's actually number six on the list with 5,591 votes up and 3,348 votes down. So actually more than 3,000 people think that they suck. So That's crazy for me. Um, okay, my know, next right? choice over here somewhere, Pink Floyd. Definitely Pink Floyd is at a number four right now, also with over 5,000 votes up. Number four, right, okay. Uh, and I, just because it's on my wall as well, I'm going to go with David Bowie. <laughs> David Bowie coming in right after Pink Floyd at a number five with over 4,000 votes. So three for three right now, Paul. You're doing great. Let's see what else we can I'm get. doing all right. Uh, you can't actually see it on the screen at the moment, but <laughs> one further over is The Who. So we'll go with The Who as well. The Who, good choice. Obviously, you know, legendary band are at a number seven right now, which is a surprise to me because I think that they're one of the greatest ever. But with over 3,000 votes, almost 4,000. So number seven. Really good. Um, we have to go with The Beatles. The Beatles, of course. And I hate to give it away, but that is the number one, of course, you know. it's <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, them boys. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. And then uh, Rolling Stones, we can't miss them either. Coming in at number two, honestly, deserve the number two spot for sure. I don't know who would ever think that they don't belong up there, but yes, you got it. That's uh, what, six for six. Oh, now, um, Elton John, would he be classed on there? Elton John. Elton John is your first fail. Oh, no. He is at number 14 right now. Unbelievable, honestly. Not too far. Not right? too far, but all right, let's go. That that you got three strikes and you fail. So that that's one. That's one. Let's go. Oh, it's tough now. It's just tough. Um Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath. At number nine, you got it. Yes. With over three thousand. That pause, I honestly thought you were looking down the list and I've missed out again. No, they're there. It's good. <laughs> I, I thought that they were going to be a little lower, but no, they're, they're number nine and they are there, baby. Okay. Um, All right. Who else you got? Who, how, how many am I missing from the top? You two? have, you have uh, seven that you've guessed, uh, one that you missed. Okay. Right. So, three, so I'll give you one hint because number 10 is almost impossible if you hit up, you already guessed the Beatles, but I'll, I'll tell you, it's one of the Beatles. All right. Okay. So I've got a 25% chance. We'll, we'll go Paul McCartney then. Paul McCartney. That's, I can't believe you guessed it because it could have been either four of them. So, I mean, you know, it really could have. You don't know. People vote like crazy, but it is Paul McCartney with over 2,000 votes. So we're missing two now. Two more, two more. Let me think. Um, you know when your brain just goes dead. You know you should know these things, and it's just kind of. I know, I know, I know. There's, there's one that you're gonna hate yourself for missing, cause. Oh, of course. Queen. <laughs> of course, Queen. You got it. So they are actually at number three right now. I think they were number four before. So since the last post I did, they went up a couple, a couple, uh, well, one spot. And then you've got one left, man. Oh, I can't think. I'm going to go with, what about, what about, what about, what about Dire Straits? No, no. It's kind of, you're, you're more around that area. Um, definitely like kind of in the punk era. 
Their streets are number 17 right now. So Punk, he said, it has to be either the Sex Pistols or the Clash. <laughs> Which one? Which Come one? On, we have one more strike left. Um, Which one? Uh, yeah. For shock factor, I'm going to go Sex Pistols. No, oh, Paul, it was the Clash. Oh, of course it's not. the Clash. They're at number eight. But hey, you did great. <laughs> Well, brilliant. Thank you very much for that. That was, that was a lot of fun, Maudie. I really enjoyed that. And uh, if people would want to check out more lists like this and they want to test each other and test their friends and things again, what do we have to do? You just got to go to History of Brock on Facebook. Give us a like, give us a follow, and I will throw all of these little tidbits and lists at you. Uh, and hopefully you can vote and change these rankings because honestly, I just logged in today and they're different. So Absolutely. That's brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us again, Maudie. Take care, man. Take care of yourself, man. It's a pleasure. Honestly, I bet you were shouting at me there, weren't you, when I couldn't think of Queen? Just had a total mind blank under pressure. Anyway, there's pretty much episode three all wrapped up for you. A quick preview of a stacked episode four first, though. Seeing as though I've had a drummer on the series with Kenny Jones and a bass player in John Ilsley, and now a guitarist in Bruce Watson, I think it's time I interviewed a singer. So that's exactly what I've got lined up for you next week. Not just any old singer, though. Another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. That'll be three in four episodes. And it's from a band at the heart of the 60s British invasion of America and a man whose vocals were described as sexy by the wonderful Susanna Hoffs of the Bangles. And I can tell you he's a gent too. As well as that interview, I've got a great chat with an author about a book he's written about the rise of the British rock scene in London in the 60s. And of course, as always, we'll have the Vintage Rock Pod quiz and Maudie will be back on too. Like I said, it's going to be an absolutely packed episode, so keep an ear out for it dropping on Monday the 26th of October. And remember to subscribe to this podcast series wherever you're listening to this. Just give us a follow and join in the chat as well on Facebook and Instagram or Twitter and see all the video interviews on YouTube too. Vintage Rock Pod, it's fully multi-platform for you. Until episode four, then take it easy and keep listening to your rock music. And if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them my music's better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.